I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and I am recording this part of this episode on Monday, October 1st, and uh, I am really glad to be able to share yet another conversation with Jay about the design principle of space, as well as um, throwing in a bit of rather unexpected conversation about modern and traditional quilting besides. We really just never know exactly where these topics are going to lead us, and we kind of ended up down a really interesting bunny trail at one point, so I hope that you will listen to it, and as always, we invite you to weigh in with your opinions as well. Um, But first, I'll give you a little bit of a a Sandy update, and then we'll get into the conversation. First of all, however, thank you so much for listening. I just checked iTunes today, and I've reached a nice round number of star ratings, so thank you very much for that. That means there's been a few new ones recently, and I also do have one new written review. Thank you so much. I really appreciate those of you who have taken the time to go over there and do that. Um, It does help folks find podcasts. I just pulled a couple of new podcasts the other day, not on quilting. Um, I was looking for new podcasts on healthy living type topics, I guess you could say, and was reading reviews of other um, podcasts to make my own decisions about whether or not what I would listen to. So it's always helpful to leave those reviews. I will say that on behalf of all podcasters. Um, Just to, again, update you, I just got back in from out of town last night, so I'm a little bit tired today, but... um, Not too bad. I've been able to just kind of take it easy. I did take today off as a comp day. Whenever we're gone for a full weekend, we have one day um, that we can take. And I debated taking it today because I'm actually heading out of town again Wednesday, and so only having one day in the office this week was a little bit nerve-wracking. But I decided if I didn't take a day of rest today, I would likely not be any good by the time I got out of town again this week. So um, I'm really just doing – I'm – kind of a slug today, which feels good. I did get a plant potted. I've had a plant sitting in its little store pot for a long time, and I had a um, a really cute pot shaped like a coffee mug that my supervisor gave me in recognition of my 10th anniversary, along with other things. That was just sort of her joke gift, because I'm a big coffee drinker. Um, and I finally got those two things together today. I did get that one plant potted. So I can call that a successful day. Um, Just uh, today, October 1st, I do think October is going to be over before I know it. I just, I don't know why I do this to myself, but I was just looking at my calendar and counting up the number of days I'm home versus the number of days I'm traveling this month. Um, It doesn't work in my favor. I'm only home an actual 17 days total this month, and that's not all at once. now, the flip side of that is that does mean I'm catching up on my own podcast listening. I've got a lot of uh, podcasts listened to the last couple of trips that I made out of town because I was driving, so I had hours and hours and hours in the car. Um, I do want to say, by the way, congratulations go out to Nitty AJ of The Quilting Pot, but I'm not going to give any spoilers here. You just have to go listen to her most recent episode. Well... Um, if you're listening to this when I post it, her most recent episode anyway, the one that she just posted in September, um, 
go find out what's going on with her. Congratulations, Nidia AJ. Can't wait to hear more as progress develops. I also want to say congratulations to Pam on the new additions to her family, all of the furry sort. She's posted some very cute pictures on Twitter. Those of you who aren't on Twitter, you don't know what you're missing. Uh, so, yes, again, I'm heading out again in two days. I'm living out of my toiletry bag. I haven't unpacked my toiletry bag since probably the beginning of September. I just keep, you know, using the stuff right out of it so that I can just kind of grab it and go. Um, I have to actually get a little laundry done today, although not much because I was only gone two, three days, so I didn't wear a lot of my work clothes over the weekend. Um, this week, my trip actually isn't really stressing me out. I'm flying to Nashville. I'll be there through Saturday. I guess I get home Saturday night. Um, I'm going to a conference, but this time it's not a conference that I'm staffing, which is very nice. I'm an attendee. I am leading one workshop there, and my supervisor will be there as well as um, one of our uh, board members. So we're going to be doing a lot of networking, and I'm hoping to pick up some interviews from my work podcast and that kind of thing. But other than that, I have no responsibilities, which is actually really nice and, frankly, even better. I have a hotel room to myself. Our I kind of had a choice of rooming with both of our other women who are going to be there, so there would have been three of us in a room, versus having my office cover half of my hotel, and then I'm just paying the other half so that I can have a room to myself. Guess which one I chose to do. (laughs) So even though I'm sort of paying part of my way to be down there, I don't mind, because I'm really kind of looking forward to having a room to myself, being able to get some rest, have somewhere to get away if I need alone time, All of that kind of thing, that's really just tremendously appreciated at this point because every other trip I'm on, I've got roommates, which is nice. A lot of times they're friends of mine, but that sometimes means we're up chatting far later than we should be, which is what happened last weekend. (laughs) So it was a lot of fun. I I do have one work colleague that I tend to um, room with a lot, and we have a great time together, but we probably don't get as much sleep as we should. In any case, um, Let's see what other news do I have. My design study group kicked back up again this month, or last month, I guess now, in September. We uh, took a hiatus over the summer because everybody had too much going on, so we had our first meeting of this program academic year. Last week, it was so nice to be back together again. We were all commenting on how much we'd kind of missed that group and missed having those kinds of conversations. Um Our homework for next month is that we're supposed to do some sort of project based on our surroundings, but we're very loose in our definition of project uh, because, you know, we don't want everybody to feel the stress of having to get something completed, you know, fully quilted, bound, et cetera. So what we're doing is just sort of if people want to play with the concept, the the book that we're using, the Lorraine Torrance book, she kind of went through the design principles and elements in the first part of the book, and then this last part of the book is more um, inspiration things, I guess I would say. So we did something on words. We did something on um, this one was photos or images or just an image from your surrounding, whether or not it's a photo, you know, so just something you remember or something you can look out the window and see. And so we all enjoyed um, – my uh, our friend Lori was the one that kind of led this session. We all trade off who leads which sessions, and so she had brought a slew of magazine pages to show different examples based on you know kind of the stuff that was in the book. And then we all took scrap paper and cut out a two-inch square in the middle of the paper, and so that you had a little window. And then we took different magazine pictures and used that two-inch square to see kind of what we could see differently when you're not looking at the whole picture, when you're only looking at a two-inch square of it, kind of what other impression does it give you. And then some of us 
then took that and extended the lines out on the um, blank paper and kind of sketched out what a quilt might look like that was based on that what we were seeing in that little two-inch square. So that was a lot of fun to do, too. Um, so now, for next month, we're supposed to just kind of take that concept and play with it. Um, I'm probably just going to be doing mine, like, on paper or as a photo editing project kind of thing. I have an idea of something I'd like to do. I just don't know that I'm going to have time to do it. Remember the aforementioned only home 17 days. So, so we'll see. But it'll be fun to, to just at least play with mentally if I don't get anything actually done. Um, my doofus's sur surgery was today. Those of you again on Twitter know this. Um, my golden retriever, Sam, went in for surgery today He uh, to remove the lump that the vet had found when we were treating him for his massive hot spot that covered like half of his body. Um, so he's having the lump removed and then she's going to send it in for testing. So I won't get the test results back for 10 to 14 days, but I get my dog back within about an hour or so. Poor guy, you know, he had that cone of shame on for like three weeks for the hot spot. He's been without it for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks, and now he's going to have it back on again <laughs> to keep him from going at the where the wound is from the surgery. You know, he just can't win. But I, I did say probably it bothered him more that we couldn't give him dinner last night and or breakfast this morning, and I couldn't take him out this morning um, to go potty because the that said she needed him to need to go to the bathroom when she got him there because she needed to take samples. Uh, so, you know, I was, that poor dog was probably crossing his little doggy legs by the time they got him at the vet. Um, but he is such a good-natured dog. He was just like, okay, you know, whatever, get me in there. Well, it did take me a little bit to get him through the door back into the back of the, the vet. I, you know, I don't go back there. That's where all the procedure rooms are. But I had to kind of walk him to the door with the vet tech as she walked him out the door because he did not want to go. But he he behaved himself. Um, and they said he came through surgery fine, so I get to go pick him up in about an hour. Um, so that's kind of the home life now. I do have a fun new announcement. This just came up today, again, on Twitter. So, Tanisha of Crafty Garden Mom Podcast, if you listen to her podcast, you know that she is a professional reader, <laughs> basically. Uh, she is responsible, she's a book buyer for bookstores that are in airports, and so she gets all the advanced copies of books, and, and books are her life. And so she started out tweeting about the fact that this is Banned Books Week. And there's all these um, events going on at libraries. There's all these things going on to, to talk about these books that have been banned at various times for various reasons in various places and, and how so many of them really have a lot of value to them. And um, basically, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but basically we are anti-banning books. You know, you can, you can decide whatever you want your children to read, but I should also have the right to decide what my children read. So... I will come right out and say that I don't believe in banning books, and I hope nobody's offended, and I know some of you might not agree with me, and you might well send me an email, but that's my stance on it. That's certainly Tanisha's stance on it. Um, that's probably just about every librarian in the world's stance on it. Um, so in any case, Tanisha and I got kind of going back and forth, and I said something about wouldn't it be fun to do a challenge, uh, some sort of quilt project based on that's inspired by a banned book. And she's all game for it, so we decided we're going to co-sponsor a giveaway this month. We, there's no way we could get it done this week. <laughs> That's just not going to happen. But what we've decided to do is we're going to do a Banned Books Challenge, 
co-sponsored by Tanisha of Crafty Garden Mom Podcast and myself. Um, Tanisha has set up a Flickr group, and we're both going to post the link to that Flickr group on our show notes, and we'll put it out through Twitter, etc. Make any sort of quilted project, it doesn't matter what it is, by October 31st. Post a picture of it in that Flickr group by October 1st, uh, sorry, October 31st. Tanisha and I will then each go into that Flickr group and um, choose a winner at random. So basically, we'll take all the names of people who have posted to the Flickr group, and we will each choose a winner at random. So there will be two winners total. Tanisha will have one winner, and I will have one winner. Uh, so that's pretty much all we've established by now. I tend to go loose rules. I believe Tanisha does the same thing. So, um, again, that's it's basically banned books challenge. Do any project that is inspired by a book that you have read that's on that banned book list that was really meaningful to you in some way or whatever, just something to do with banned books, and um, post the picture of your project in that Flickr group that we will both link to off of our um, blog, show notes, etc., and October 31st, we will each choose a winner from that group. Now, I'll tell you kind of what I'm thinking about doing. Whenever I think about banned books, the first book that comes to mind for me is a book called Go Ask Alice. It was published, I, well, I don't actually know when it was published. I read it when I was in middle school. I don't want to tell you how long ago that was, but it was a ways back. I read that book when I was in junior high. And to this day, certain images of that book stick with me. But you know what? It, that's not a bad thing. The book was significant in my thought processes about not wanting to get involved in drugs at all. That's the message of that book, basically. Drugs are bad. You know, that's kind of the, the uh, if you want to really take it down to the nutshell, drugs are bad. And reading that book really had a profound impact on me in that regard. I don't know that I would have gone out and tried drugs without having read that book, but Having read that book, that was a part of that. And it just breaks my heart to know that that has been listed as a banned book for years because I think of all the kids out there that maybe could have benefited from reading that book that did not have the opportunity to. So for me, that's the the image that comes to mind. That was the first book that came to mind. So I'm trying to think of how I would do a project. And there's this one scene that's just kind of in my head that I think my project might um reference. So I'm not going to go any further than that because actually part of me is thinking I need to reread the book to make sure that the scene I remember being in there is actually really in there and I'm not manufacturing memories from back when I was, you know, 12. <laughs> but in any case, um, Tanisha, I believe, said something about being inspired by Judy Bloom, who is also on the Band Books Week. Um, I find it amazing that Madeline Langle has been on the Band Book Week, uh, Band Book uh, list. She writes the most deeply spiritual books. Uh, so in any case, that's our challenge, the Banned Books Challenge, co-sponsored by Tanisha and myself with the Flickr group, and the winners will be drawn on October 31st. Okay, I, like I said, because I'm not doing any quilting, um, that's pretty much all of my uh, update, and um, I will hopefully have some time. I'm actually home for four days next week between trips. So hopefully I'll have some time to um, post a regular podcast with uh, just um, more quilty talk, that kind of thing. Uh, this is the last of the interviews that Jay and I did a couple of weeks ago when we were both had a day that we could knock out several episodes all in one day. 
Um, and now we're having problems getting our schedules again to do together again to do another one. So I'm not quite sure when the next design episode will happen, but there is another one in the works. I do know Jay's working on her end of it, and then she and I just need to get together to do that. So meanwhile, like I said, in this episode, Jay and I talk about the design principle of space. This one's a little bit harder to wrap your head around, um, so you might need to listen a little more carefully or um, just let yourself kind of ponder about what we're talking about. And then, as always, Jay is posting a blog um, post related to this podcast episode with all sorts of notes and references and, and images and things to help you more fully understand it. So be sure you do go visit her um, episode. I'm sorry, her blog. And then um, leave us your comments. And if you have pictures of quilts that you think exemplify any of these things that we're talking about, um, post those pictures as well. And let us know. Give us your comments. Give us your input. As always, though, be nice. <laughs> um, I don't think I'm going to do a closer on this one. I think I'm just going to let the, uh, the episode end with Jay and my conversation. So let me just end by saying, then, you know where to get a hold of me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow the blog. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, um, Flickr, uh, Thread Bias, Crafty, Stitchbox, Tom Spoolery, etc. Um, uh, you can <laughs> like the Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Facebook and the Quilting for the Rest of Us group in Flickr. Um, and join the Big Tent Quiltcast Supergroup and then the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup, and you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team, and you'll find links for all of that at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And once you're done listening to Jay and my conversation about space, then you can go get your quilt on. All right, once again, I have Jay of Art Quiltmaker fame with me, continuing our design series, and I believe today we are talking about space. Yes, we are. Hi, Sandy. Hi, everybody. Okay, what do you need us to know today? Well, as I mentioned in the shape episode, which was two episodes ago, we're into the more difficult elements and principles. They're mind benders, but the brilliant listeners can handle it. So space is a principle of design. You can't touch it, really. And space is related to form and thus to shape. So if you haven't listened to those two episodes, I would encourage you to do so, but you don't need to if you're on the on the treadmill at the gym and don't have them on your iPod or your device. Yeah, don't, don't stop listening now just because you haven't listened to those, but it, it probably would be a little helpful. And if you go back and listen to them, then you can just listen to space a second time. <laughs> All right, so space is the area a design occupies. Form and shape are areas or masses which define objects in space, and they imply space. And they can't exist without space, but they are in the space and not the space. So what this means is if you take a piece of fabric, let's say you're going to make a quilt that's four feet wide by three feet high, that is your space. That is the area that your design is going to occupy. Now, for me, I never know how big my quilt is going to end up, so I don't know how much space I'm going to have to work with. 
But in general, most more normal quilters, they will actually figure out their quilts beforehand. But that four by three area is the space that your designer is going to occupy, or whatever it is. Maybe you make mini quilts and it's one by two or five inches by five inches or something. Or if you make a mug rug, I don't know how big mug rugs are, but that's your, that's your space. So in two-dimensional art forms, such as quilt making, an illusion of space is created using different techniques, such as size, overlapping objects, vertical location, aerial perspective, linear perspective, one-point perspective, two-point perspective, and multi-point perspective, and on and on. Anything that you do to that space that you define is how, is how the illusion of space is created. I understand it's really hard to understand. Just think about that three by four foot piece of fabric. That's your space. So there's also space around the object, which kind of makes sense. If you put a bunch of circles on your three by four foot piece of fabric, there's still space around those objects. So the space around the object can distract focus or alter our impression of the space. A cluttered background tends to diminish the importance of the object, while a plain background draws attention to it. So let's say you have a beautifully hand-dyed piece of fabric that you're going to use as your background. There's a lot of pattern on it. The object that you put on top of it, so the shape that you put on top of it, it will, unless it's the color and texture and different qualities of the shape can, can oh, I don't want to say overshadow, but can stand up to that beautiful hand-dyed background, the importance of your object is going to be diminished. If you just have a white background or a solid color background, your object will be the focus. They will be more important. Can I, uh, another example that comes to mind for me is, is, for example, a mariner's compass. If you have a mariner's compass, you want that center compass to really stand out. That's the important piece. But if you throw all this stuff going on in the background so that somebody actually has to sort of search for where that mariner's compass is, then the space of the mariner's compass becomes overwhelmed by what's happening in that background space. Right. The space is more important than the mariner's compass. And mariner's compasses are, uh, I don't want to say difficult piecing, but they take a lot of time. They're not, you're not making a nine patch when you start piecing a mariner's compass. So you really want those to stand out. So the space around it should receive, right. at least in my opinion. Right. I mean, it depends on what message you're trying to send. But if it's, hey, look, I can piece this Mariner's Compass, then your space around the Mariner's Compass will work better. It will, your message will get across better if it receives. Right. So, two-dimensional design is concerned with the flat space on which the design takes place and the illusion of three-dimensional space. The major methods 
of controlling the illusion of space are overlap, shading, linear perspective, atmospheric perspective, and I'm going to tell you what they are. Overlap is one object in front of one another. Shading is modeling with light and dark. Linear perspective is the relationship between apparent size and space. Atmospheric perspective is how the atmosphere affects the appearance of objects in space. So I think that was very hard for me to understand. And I think the way I understand it is if you use different types of fabric, so if some of your fabrics are covered with gauze, there's a different atmospheric perspective. But I'm not 100% positive. I'll try and be more positive when I post the blog post. So now I have some more notes. What kind of this whole, almost this whole thing is about this note. It was very hard to organize this into what we've done in the past. So here's types of space. Each composition is filled with positive and negative space. And design elements usually occupy the positive space and are surrounded by negative space. The amount of negative space within a design field can greatly impact the composition. Again, we talked about this last time or the time before. Look at the negative space once you put your object on your background to see what happens. Or as you mentioned, if you put four blocks together, what's happening at the intersection of those four blocks and do you like it? You know, it strikes me, we keep referring to negative space as if everybody knows what we mean, and I'm not entirely sure we should assume that. So negative space is where your design isn't, essentially. I mean, it's be it becomes part of your design. But, for example, if you have an applique block, the applique part itself is the positive space. The background fabric is the negative space. So if you're making a traditional block, the parts that are colored in are your positive space, and then whatever your ongoing background fabric is, that's the negative space. So that's a very simplistic description of the difference between positive and negative space for anybody that was sitting there going, what do they mean when they keep saying negative space? Yeah, and if you think about the Tattoo Star, the red Tattoo Star quote that we talked about in some of the other episodes, if the star is red, whatever is not red in that block is the negative space. In that case, it's also called the background. Right. So with three-dimensional art, such as sculpture, one can see how the object occupies space by walking around it, looking at it from above, below, or from the side. As we've said, three-dimensional objects, which are forms, have height, width, and depth. With two-dimensional art, like quilts, the arrangement of objects on the design field can be crowded with lots of objects or nearly empty with very few objects. These design elements have height, width, but no depth. And that design field, that's the space. And you change it by what you put on it. So forms and shapes 
can be thought of as positive or negative. Positive is usually the foreground, negative is usually the background. In a two-dimensional composition, the object constitutes positive forms, while the background is negative space. For beginning art and design students, effective use of negative space is often an especially important concept to be mastered. The, there's an exercise that I saw in that paper where the student is required to work with the same composition in black on white and white on black. And this makes it difficult to ignore the background and treat it as merely empty space. The effective placement of objects in relation to the surrounding negative space is essential for success in composition. So, um, there is a book in quilt making, and it's called something about cut, cut paper, and I can't, I'll try and find it. I have a copy and think of it, but you think about the snowflakes that we used to make as kids and paste them to the front windows. That's cut paper. And if you think about having a white, two white pieces of paper and a black, and two black pieces of paper and making a white snowflake and a black snowflake and putting the white snowflake on the black paper and the black snowflake on the white paper, that's what they're talking about. You can't say, oh, the, white is always the background or the black is always the background because you make the same snowflake, you have two different kinds of negative space, I guess. You know, I've actually got something hanging on my wall that I'm looking at right now that's an example of this because it's an art project from of my daughter from one of her high school art classes and it's an exercise in positive negative space. It's a cut paper project. So I'll take a picture of that and make sure I um, post it with the show notes for this episode. It's I have it hanging on my wall because I'm determined to eventually do it in fabric because of that. And it's for me, it's one that I look at and I say, this has got to be applique and reverse applique, which is sort of that whole sense of positive negative. You know, you're you're applying on top versus cutting away. Um, that's the same kind of concept. Yeah, and that um, this point about making it difficult to ignore the background and treating it as nearly empty space is really important because just because of the color, or I know black is in a color, so send me hate email, please. It's not just empty space. You have to pay attention to it. And if people walk away with anything from this episode, it should be pay attention to what's going on in the background. If you can go a little farther, pay attention to what's going on in the background in relation to the foreground. But if you can't think about it that much, if your brain is, is hurting now, then just think about the background and what and how it looks with what you what you've made. And I guess there's an example I was um, playing around with fashion on a quote that I'm working on. It's a sampler quilt from my guild, and I've used really bright colors, a lot of solids from Pat Bravo's Pure Element Solids, and then I think one one print. 
And I was having a very hard time figuring out what sashing, because the sashing was essentially becoming the background or the design field. And I tried a lot of things. You can see a good example of this if you look on my blog. In the last month or so about sashing, I put up some dots and I put up some white and I put up some gray. And you can really see the difference in how it makes those blocks look. One of the issues I was having is that the blocks are really small. They're six inches. So they can easily be overwhelmed by a really bright color, even though they are bright colors themselves. It was a very interesting exercise in in trying to figure out the space. You know, one of the things that strikes me, too, as we're sitting here talking about positive and negative space in terms of quilt making is, and I'm going to say something that's a broad sweeping generalization and all sorts of people will immediately put up point out the exceptions to this, but traditional quilt making could be seen as having more of an emphasis on the positive space. Modern quilt making, perhaps, has more of an emphasis on negative space. If you look at your kind of average modern quilt, there is a whole lot of negative space going on. Um, the, the brighter colors or the, the blocks or whatever tend to be smaller in relationship to the background again, not across the board, but in general, if you look at what a what if you look at something and identify it as a modern quilt, often it's because it has a lot more of that negative space to it, what we might consider background, um, versus traditional quilts which tend to have less of that. Hopefully, I'm going to save you from the people who might be pounding on their keyboards right now. I think maybe what you're noticing is that a lot of modern quilts pay attention to the negative space. And classic quilt making maybe doesn't as much? I don't know that I would say that as much because obviously in design at all times you have to pay attention to that negative space because you have to see how it's um, affecting you. And in traditional quilt making, like I joked in an earlier episode, often that's where we think, well, that's where you put the quilt design. You know, that's where you put your feather grease. Um, you think of the snowball block. That's... A, a wonderful example of you're creating yourself some negative space there that you can then do something with. But if you look at a lot of the modern quilts, there's just a whole lot more space that doesn't have blocks going on. And the quilting then often is very linear. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just think, you know, as I, again, as I think about when I picture a, a kind of a normal standard traditional quilt and a normal standard modern quilt, which is going to get me in trouble right there because everybody's going to say there's no such thing as normal and standard. But if you look at sort of the, the general overall, I mean, again, I would appreciate people's comments as long as they're nice and, you know, don't call me names. But that strikes me as... doing a service. Well, I think one of the things I've always thought is I've thought through the difference between traditional and modern quilting is often modern quilting is a lot more about the fabric. It really features, you know, these gorgeous features and sort of gorgeous fabrics and sort of these big pieces. And that creates within it a sense of, okay, we've got this negative space we can play with now. Um, it's, yeah. it's just kind of a thought that comes to mind and, you know, feel free to have at it. And maybe that's, we haven't given anybody the questions that are going to keep them up at night 
in this episode. So let me give that one to you. Is that possibly some way you could identify traditional and, and modern quilting as the use of positive versus negative space? But before you respond, go to the Modern Quilt Guild website and read their definition of what a modern quilt is, and then think about it. Well, do that, but then also think, has modern quilting moved beyond the original definition, too? Oh, yeah. I wonder <laughs> if the definition is, is evolving or if that's static. That's what I think, you know, they defined it to begin with, but as more and more people then create their own sense of what it means to be a modern quilter, everybody brings something to the definition. So by nature, it almost has to change, unless you're going to become the quilt police. Yeah. You know, so anyway, but that's a whole other episode. <laughs> we don't really need to get into that here, but um, that yeah, it's just something to think about as I picture a traditional quilt versus what I would identify as a modern quilt. And again, not all modern quilts, not all traditional quilts but kind of tendencies towards or trends within. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking now that we might need to do negative space sooner rather than later, even though it isn't really an elemental principle. I think your intelligent listeners can handle us. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, I'll see what I can do on that front. Right. Um, so I just have one other thing, which is, in my other category, and I found this on a page called from a university called Design Notes, and it it's called a picture plane, and I think it's the same as space, but I'm going to read this, and then you guys can all decide. Two-dimensional design takes place on a surface called the picture plane. The picture plane you use on your quilt are something we've also been calling the design field. For a painter, it's the canvas. For a muralist, it's the wall. The significance of the picture plane becomes apparent when you think of the image on the picture plane as being similar to what you would see if you were looking through a window. A flat image, like one of your figure ground projects, appears to be pasted to the window or picture plane with no space extending beyond it. A photograph or any image that shows the illusion of space appears to extend beyond the picture plane. In rare instances, it is possible to make the image project in front of the picture plane. So one of the reasons that I include this is because it, it helps define what space is at least in my mind, when someone says a definition to me, I try and picture what it looks like in my mind. And I think since your audience is probably primarily quilt makers, they're visual people, and they might do this also. So if you think about looking through a window or looking at a photograph, that is your space. And that's all I have for you today. All right. Well, we've certainly uh, given people stuff to think about today, as and especially as this follows the previous two episodes. So people now can kind of look at shape, form, and space and how they all interrelate. And as always, we would ask people to um, look at some quilts, either quilts that you've made or quilts that you're looking at online, and see if you can identify some of these things that we've talked about. Um, and talk back to us. Leave comments. Leave comments on the show notes to this episode. Leave comments on Jay's blog. Um, 
be part of that conversation because all of this, you know, there's definitions we can come up with from a variety of places, um, but each of us are going to interpret them just a little bit differently. So I'll be really interested to hear how all of our brilliant, intelligent listeners that we're now keeping up at night at 3 o'clock in the morning with these <laughs> philosophical questions, um, what, what you all think about what we've been talking about here and where you see it in quilts or don't see it in quilts. And if you have great examples, really help me out here because I can't look at every single quilt on the web. I know you think I do, but... <laughs> you certainly look at a lot. And I believe our friend Noni was periodically blogging her own um, sort of reflections on our topics with pictures on her blog. So, Noni, we challenge you to do that again. Yeah, and everybody else, too. Absolutely. All right. Well, once again, thank you so much, Jay, and uh, we'll keep you guys all posted on whether that episode on negative space is going to happen. How soon is this key issue? I have to see how far I've gotten and what else I can find. Right. Okay. And folks, uh, listeners, if you have um, topics about design or questions about design that you would like to ask that you think might help shape future episodes, please do. Lay them on us. Yeah, if there's something that you think is part of design that isn't really considered a traditional element or principle, we can think about it, see what we can find, talk about it a little more. We can at least make up answers, even if we can't find them. <laughs> I'll leave that to you. <laughs> I'm good at that. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you so much again, Jay, and we'll talk to you later. All right. Have a great day. Cooking for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.